Chapter Two of My Life on the Plains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. If the character of the Indian is enveloped in mystery, how much more so is his origin? From the earliest history to the present time, learned men have striven to unravel this mystery and to trace the genealogy of the red man to its original source. But in spite of all study and the deepest research capable of being brought to bear on this subject, it is today surrounded by a darkness almost as deep and impenetrable as that which enfolded it centuries ago. Various writers of ability have attempted to prove that the Indians came from eastern Asia. Others trace them to Africa, others to Phoenicia, while other class believes them to be Autochthons. In favor of each of these beliefs, strong circumstantial evidence can be produced. By closely studying the customs, costumes, faith, and religious traditions of the various tribes, a striking homogeneity is seen to exist. At the same time, and from the same sources, we are enabled to discover satisfactory resemblance between certain superstitions and religious rites practiced among the Indian tribes and those which prevailed at one time among the ancient Persians, the Hebrews, and the Chaldeans. They who adhere to the belief of disparity of origin may readily adduce arguments in refutation of an opposite theory. The apparent similarity found to exist in the customs, dress, and religious rites of different tribes may be partially accounted for by their long intercourse under like circumstances, the effect of which would necessarily be an assimilation in beliefs and usage to a greater or less degree. The preponderance of facts inclines strongly in favor of that theory, which does not ascribe unity of origin to the Indian tribes. Passing down the Mississippi to Mexico and from Mexico to Peru, there once existed an unbroken chain of tribes, which, either in a peaceful or warlike manner, maintained a connection and kept up an intercourse with each other. In various ways, proofs have been discovered that at one time the most northern tribes must have held intercourse with the civilized nations of Peru and Mexico. These evidences have been seized upon by certain chevants to support the theory that the Indian tribes of North America are descendants of the Aztecs and other kindred nations of the South, arriving at this conclusion from the fact that an apparently similarity in history, psychology, traditions, and customs but by studying the migration and tendencies of ancient nations and making allowances for such modifications as climate influences, intermarriage, contact with civilization, and an altered mode of living would necessarily produce upon any branch of the human race, remembering, too, that in the vast majority of cases relating to our subject, we must be guided by tradition rather than history, it is not difficult to establish a strong, typical likeness between the tribes of American Indians and some of the nations of most remote antiquity. When or in what exact manner they first reached this continent is a problem difficult of solution. This theory necessarily involves the admission of immigration to this continent centuries before the landing of Columbus. Upon this point there is much that may be inferred and not a little susceptible of strong proof. When civilization made its first inroads within the borders of this continent, numerous tribes, each powerful in numbers, were found inhabiting it. Each tribe had its peculiar customs, 
whether of war, the chase, or religion. They exhibited some close resemblances as well as widely different traits of character. That they sprang from different nations rather than from a single source seems highly probable. It is said that when the Spaniards conquered Yucatan, a number of intelligent Indians declared that by traditions from their ancestors they had learned that their country had been peopled by nations coming from the east, whom God had delivered from their enemies by opening a road for them across the sea. Few persons will deny that the existence of America was believed in, if not positively known, centuries before its discovery by Columbus. Even so far back as the time of Alexander the Great, a historian named Theopompus, in giving a dialogue that took place between Midas and Salinas, credits the latter with saying that Europe, Asia, and Africa were only islands, but that a vast, fertile continent existed beyond the sea. This continent was peopled by a race of powerful men, and gold and silver were abundant on its surface. Hanno, 800 years before Christ, made a voyage along the coast of Africa and sailed due west for 30 days. From the account which he afterward wrote of his voyage, it is probable that he saw portions of America or some of the West India Islands. References also made by Homer and Horace to the existence of islands at a long distance west of Europe and Africa. Diodorus speaks of an immense island many days sailed to the west of Africa. Immense rivers flowed from its shores. Its inhabitants resided in beautiful mansions. Its soil was fruitful and highly cultivated. The description corresponds with that given of Mexico by the Spaniards who first discovered it. Aristotle makes mention of it in the following terms. It is said that the Carthaginians have discovered, beyond the pillars of Hercules, a very fertile island, but which is without inhabitants, yet full of forests of navigable rivers, and abounding in fruit. It is situated many days' journey from the mainland. After the discovery of America, Europeans were surprised to find in villages in Guatemala inhabitants wearing the Arabian masculine costume and the Jewish feminine costume. Travelers in South America have discovered Israelites among the Indians, this discovery strengthens the theory given by Garcia, a Spanish writer, that the Indians are descendants of the tribes of Israel that were led captive into Assyria. Many of the Indian customs and religious rites closely resemble those of the Israelites. In many tribes, the Indians offer the first fruits of the earth and of the chase to the Great Spirit. They have also certain ceremonies at stated periods, their division of the year corresponds with the Jewish festivals. In some tribes, the brother of the deceased husband receives the widow into his lodge as his legitimate wife. Some travelers claim to have seen circumcision practice among certain tribes. Another analogy between the Jews and the Indian is seen in their purification, baths, anointing, fasts, manner of praying, and abstaining from certain quadrupeds birds and reptiles considered impure. In general, Indians are only permitted to marry in their own tribe. Some tribes are said to carry with them an ark similar to the one mentioned in the Holy Writ. I know that all tribes with which I have been brought in contact 
carry with them a mysterious something which is regarded with the utmost sacredness and veneration, and upon which the eye of no white man at least is ever permitted to rest. Then again, the medicine man of the tribe, who is not, as his name implies, the physician, but stands in the character of high priest, assumes a dress and manner corresponding to those of the Jewish high priest. Mr. Adair, who spent forty years among the various northern tribes, and who holds to the idea that the Indian is descended from the Hebrew, asserts that he discovered an unmistakable resemblance between various Indian words and the Hebrew intended to express the same ideas. He further asserts that he once heard an Indian apply the following expression to a culprit, Tashi Waxit Kanha, Thou art like a Canaanite sinner. Numerous evidences and various authorities go to prove that prior to the discovery of America by Columbus, a series of voyages had been made from the old to the new continent. The historical records of the Scandinavians describing their migratory expeditions fix not only the dates of such excursions, but also the exact points on the American coast at which landings were made and colonies established. In 1002, Thorward Erickson, following the example of his countrymen, began a voyage during which he landed near Cape Cod. He was afterwards slain in an encounter with the natives. Other expeditions were undertaken by the Scandinavians at subsequent periods, down to the early part of the 15th century, when, owing to various causes of decline, including savage wars and disease, these early explorers lost their foothold on the American continent and disappeared from its limits. But from the ninth to 15th century, it was easily proved by their historical records and traditions that the American continent had been visited and occupied by pioneers from the Scandinavians. From the great number of inscriptions, antique utensils, arms, bones, and monuments discovered in New England states, it is fair to presume that these adventures had occupied a larger portion of the new continent than their manuscripts would lead us to suppose. At the same time, the discoveries in the western states and territories of mounds containing human bones, earthen vessels and weapons, whose form and structure prove that their original owners belonged to a different people, from any of which were acquainted at the present day, should be received as evidence strongly confirmatory of the early migrations claimed to have been made by the Scandinavians and other nations. Admitting that there are certain physiological attributes common to nearly all the Indian tribes, sufficiently decided and clear to enable them to be classed together as one branch of the human family, yet an intimate study of all the tribes of North America will develop physical diversities, sufficiently ample to justify the belief that the various tribes may have sprung from different nationalities. We find them altogether generally of a copper color, presenting all shades of complexion from a deep black to a shade of white. Some tribes are of powerful stature, others are dwarfed. So marked are these differences that a person accustomed to meeting the various tribes can at a glance distinguish the individuals of one from the other. Almost every tribe possesses a language peculiarly its own, 
and what seems remarkable is the fact that no matter how long or how intimately two tribes may be associated with each other they each preserve and employ their own language and individuals of the one tribe rarely become versed in the spoken language of the other all intercommunications being carried on either by interpreters or in the universal signed language this is noticeably true of cheyenne and arapahoes two tribes which for years have lived in close proximity to each other and who are so strongly bound together offensively and defensively as to make common cause against the enemies of either particularly against the white man these tribes encamp together hunt together and make war together yet but a comparatively small number of either can speak fluently the language of the other i remember to have had an interview at one time with a number of prominent chiefs belonging to five different tribes the cheyenne kiowas osages Kaws, and apaches in communicating with them it was necessary for my language to be interpreted into each of the five indian tongues no representatives of any two of the tribes being able to understand the language of each other yet all of these tribes were accustomed to more or less intimate association between the tribes which inhabited the eastern states and those originally found on the plains a marked difference is seen to exist they have but little in common while a difference equally marked is discovered between the indians of the plains and those of the mountain regions further west as well as the tribes of both old and new mexico inseparable from the indian character whenever he is to be met with is his remarkable taciturnity his deep dissimulation the perseverance with which he follows his plans of revenge or conquest his concealment and apparent lack of curiosity his stoical courage when in the power of his enemies his cunning his caution and last but not least the wonderful power and subtlety of his senses of this last i have had most interesting proof one instance of which will be noted when describing the washita campaign in studying the indian character while shocked and disgusted by many of his traits and customs i find much to be admired and still more of deep and unvarying interest to me indian life with its attendant ceremonies mysteries and forms is a book of uneasing interest grant that some of its pages are frightful and if possible to be avoided yet the attraction is none the weaker study him fight him civilize him if you can he remains still the object of your curiosity a type of man peculiar and undefined subjecting himself to no known law of civilization contending determinately against all efforts to win him from his chosen mode of life he stands in a group of nations solitary and reserved seeking alliance with none mistrusting and opposing the advances of all civilization may and should do much for him but it can never civilize him a few instances to the contrary may be quoted but these are susceptible of explanation no tribe enjoying its accustomed freedom has ever been induced to adopt a civilized mode of life or as they express it to follow the white man's road at various times certain tribes have forsaken the pleasures of the chase 
and the excitement of the warpath for the more quiet life to be found on the reservation. Was this course adopted voluntarily and from preference? Was it because the Indian chose the ways of his white brother rather than those in which he had been born and bred? In no single instance has this been true. What then, it may be asked, have been the reasons which influenced certain tribes to abandon their predatory nomadic life, and today to influence others to pursue a similar course? The answer is clear, and as undeniable as it is clear. The gradual and steady decrease in numbers, strength, and influence, occasioned by wars both with other tribes and with the white man, as well as losses brought about by diseases partly attributable to contact with civilization, have so lowered the standing and diminished the available fighting force of the tribe as to render it unable to cope with more powerful neighboring tribes with any prospect of success. The stronger tribes always assume an overbearing and dominant matter toward their weaker neighbors, forcing them to join in costly and bloody wars, or themselves to be considered enemies. When a tribe falls from the position of a leading one, it is at the mercy of every tribe that chooses to make war, being forced to take sides, and at the termination of the war is generally sacrificed to the interests of the more powerful. To avoid these sacrifices, to avail itself of the protection of civilization and its armed forces, to escape from the running influences of its more warlike and powerful neighbors, it reluctantly accepts the situation, gives up its accustomed haunts, its wild mode of life, and nestles down under the protecting arm of its former enemy, the white man, and tries, however feebly, to adopt his manner of life. In making this change, the Indian has to sacrifice all that is dear to his heart. He abandons the only mode of life in which he can be a warrior and win triumphs and honors worthy to be sought after. And in taking up the pursuits of the white man, he does that which he has always been taught, from his earliest infancy to regard as degrading to his manhood, to labor, to work for his daily bread, an avocation suitable only for squaws. To those who advocate the application of laws of civilization to the Indian, it might be a profitable study to investigate the effect which such application produces upon the strength of the tribe as expressed in numbers. Looking at him as the fearless hunter, the matchless horseman and warrior of the plains where nature placed him, and contrasting him with the reservation Indian, who is supposed to be reveling in the delightful comforts and luxuries of an enlightened condition, but who in reality is groveling and beggary, bereft of many of the qualities which in his wild state tended to render him noble and heir to a combination of vices, partly his own, partly bequeathed to him from the pale face, one is forced, even against desire, to conclude that there is unending antagonism between the Indian nature and that with which his well-meaning white brother would endow him. Nature intended him for a savage state. Every instinct, every impulse of his soul inclines him to it. The white race might fall into a barbarous state, and afterwards, subjected to the influence of civilization, be reclaimed and prosper. Not so the Indian. He cannot be himself and be civilized. He fades away and dies. 
cultivation such as the white man would give him deprives him of his identity education strange as it may appear seems to weaken rather than strengthen his intellect where do we find any specimens of educated indian eloquence comparing with that of such native untutored orators as tecumseh osceola red jacket and logan or to select from those of more recent fame red cloud of the sioux or santata of the kiowas unfortunately for the last named chief whose name has been such a terror to our frontier settlements he will have to be judged for other qualities than that of eloquence attention has more recently been directed to him by his arrest by the military authorities near fort sill indian territory and his transportation to texas for trial by civil court for various murders and depredations alleged to have been committed by him near the texas frontier he has since had his trial and if public rumor is to be credited has been sentenced to death reference will be made to this noted chief in succeeding pages his eloquence and able arguments upon the indian question in various councils to which he was called won for him the deserved title of orator of the plains in his boasting harangue before the general of the army which furnished the evidence of his connection with the murders for which he has been tried and sentenced he stated as a justification for such outrages or rather as the occasion of them that they were in retaliation for his arrest and imprisonment by me some three years ago as there are two sides to most questions even if one be wrong when the proper time arrives a brief account of santata's arrest and imprisonment with the causes leading thereto will be given in these sketches one of the favorite remarks of santata in his orations and one to which other chiefs often indulge in being thrown out as a glittering generality meaning much or little as they may desire but most often the latter was that he was tried of making war and desired now to follow the white man's road it is scarcely to be presumed that he found the gratifications of this oft-expressed desire in recently following the white man's road to texas under strong guard and heavily manacled with hanging to the indian the most dreaded of all deaths plainly in the perspective aside however from his character for restless barbarity and actively in conducting merciless forays against our exposed frontiers santata is a remarkable man remarkable for his powers of oratory and determined warfare against the advances of civilization and his opposition to the abandonment of his accustomed mode of life and its exchange for the quiet unexciting uneventful life of a reservation indian if i were an indian i often think that i would greatly prefer to cast my lot among those of my people who adhered to the free open plains rather than to submit to the confined limits of a reservation there to be the recipient of the blessed benefits of civilization with its vices thrown in without stint or measure the indian can never be permitted to view the question in this deliberate way he is neither a luxury nor necessary of life he can hunt roam and camp when and wheresoever he pleases 
provided always that in so doing he does not run contrary to the requirements of civilization in its advancing trend when the soil which he has claimed and hunted over for so long a time is demanded by this to him insatiable monster there is no appeal he must yield or like the car of juggernaut it will roll marilously over him destroying as it advances destiny seems to have so willed it and the world looks on and nods its approval at best the history of our indian tribes no matter from what the standpoint is regarded affords a melancholy picture of loss of life two hundred years ago it required millions to express in numbers the indian population while at the present time less than half the number of thousands will suffice for the purpose where and why have they gone ask the saxon race since whose introduction into an occupation of the country these vast changes have been effected but little idea can be formed of the terrible inroads which disease before unknown to them have made upon their numbers war has contributed its share it is true but disease alone has done much to depopulate many of the indian tribes it is stated that the smallpox was first introduced among them by the white man in eighteen thirty seven and that in the short space of one month six tribes lost by this disease alone twelve thousand persons confusion sometimes arises from the division of the indians into nations tribes and bands a nation is generally a confederation of tribes which have sprung from a common stock or origin the tribe is intended to embrace all bands and villages claiming a common name and is presided over by a head chief while each band or village is presided over by one or more subordinate chiefs but all acknowledging a certain allegiance to the head or main village this division cannot always be accounted for it arises sometimes from necessity where the entire tribe is a large one and it is difficult to produce game and grazing in one locality sufficient for all in such cases the various bands are not usually separated by any great distance but regulate their movements so as to be able to act in each other's behalf sometimes a chief more warlike than the others who favors war and conquest at all times and refuses to make peace even when his tribe assents to it will separate himself with those who choose to unite their fortunes with his from the remainder of the tribe and act for the time independently such character produces endless trouble his village becomes a shelter and rendezvous for all the restless spirits of the tribe while the latter is or pretends to be at peace this band continues to make war yet when pressed or pursued avails itself of the protection of those who are supposed to be peaceable having hurriedly sketched the country in which we shall find it necessary to go and glanced at certain theories calculated to shed some light on the origin and destiny of the indian tribes the succeeding pages will be devoted to my personal experience on the plains commencing with the expedition of major general hancock in the spring of eighteen sixty seven end of chapter two